0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello,
1: and thanks for joining us for episode 577 with Kevin Ikenberry. Kevin is chatting about the small changes that make a world of difference when you're managing remote teams. You'll learn, one, the foundation of successful remote teams, two, how to measure your remote team's productivity, and three, top tips for facilitating better online communication. You can check out the show notes in the podcast app player you're using by expanding show notes, show description, episode notes, episode description, or you can visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP577, that's ep 577 to see the transcript and the clickable links and all kinds of good stuff. Now here's Kevin's story. Kevin Eikenberry is a world-renowned leadership expert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, consultant, trainer, coach, leader, learner, husband, and father. He is the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group, a leadership and learning consulting company that has been helping organizations, teams, and individuals reach their potential since 1993. Kevin is also the creator and content developer of the Remarkable Leadership Learning System, a continual leadership development process focused on developing the 13 competencies of Remarkable Leaders with virtually delivered content to leaders worldwide. Kevin and his family live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Big thanks to Kevin for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Here's Kevin. Kevin, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Well, it's awesome. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, I'm glad to have you. And uh, one fun thing we learned about you in uh, stalking you is that you have an antique tractor collection.
2: (laughs) Well, I have an antique tractor collection of the the first question people ask is, you mean like real tractors? Yes, 13 of them.
1: 13 real, full-size tractors.
2: I also have spread around this office. I have toy tractors of different ages as well.
1: So please, how did this come to be and what is your fascination with them?
2: Well, I grew up on a farm and my grandpa said, you can take the boy off the farm. She can't take the farm out of the boy. I own the farm I grew up on, started the hobby, if you will, 21 years ago. It became a hobby I shared with my father and then he passed away unexpectedly and, and, uh, and I've continued it. So it's, it's a way to connect my kidhood to my adulthood it's created a bunch of great memories for me. And like most things in life, it's not really about the tractor. It's about the why underneath it.
1: Well, so do these antique tractors work or is it sort of a mixed bag or more for show?
2: Uh, it's a mixed It's a mixed bag. I have some that people that do this would say are parade quality or show quality. I have others that run. and I have a couple that aren't currently running, but I don't have any that are like torn apart and 3,700 pieces, anything like that.
1: You know, I one time went to a, a tractor pull and uh, it, was, it was a unique event. So I grew up in central Illinois, so that's not um, so outrageous a, a thing to do. It was interesting to me, not knowing much about tractors, how much people got into it. They're like, good pull, buddy, good pull. And toward the end, it's like these tractors didn't even look like
2: they did farm work. They were more like the um, <laughs> sports car of tractor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Depending on what, you, what kind of tractor pull you went to, they weren't anywhere close to being an actual tractor. So my collection is uh, ranges from 1939 to 1966 is the range of the tractors.
1: Cool. Well, so I don't have a forced segue, but maybe you'll give me one. <laughs> We're talking about long-distance leadership, and I'd love to know. So you put together this book, The Long Distance Leader. What would you say is the most surprising and fascinating discovery you made while researching and putting it together?
2: So I think... The, I don't know if it's the biggest thing I learned during it, but I think one of the biggest things that people can take from it, and of course now lots of people are living in this world in a forced way, is that the first rule we mention in the book is the idea that it's leadership first, location second. It's not that everything changes, but lots of little things change. And as one of my mentors told me a long time ago, Pete, small little hinges swing big doors. And so there's a whole lot of little things we've got to get better at, nuances we need to take advantage of and and pay attention to that will help us be effective in leading a team when we don't see them every
1: day. And so when you say leadership first and location second, do you mean in terms of your priority for how you're allocating your, your time, attention, resources in, in growth, or what's the first and the second designating
2: here? Yeah, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that, that we need to remember that we're leaders and be leading. And we're only leading, by the way, Pete, if people are choosing to follow us, right? So that that's the first thing I would say. And and so part of the message is don't get worried or lost in, oh my gosh, I can't see them. Are they working? Right? So don't get lost or worried about the location, but we must recognize the location. And because of the fact that we're not in the same place, we have to be more intentional and work harder. at. So in other words, everything we had to do in leading people when they were down the hall, still needs to happen. May need to have more of it, but don't forget what you already knew. Transfer those habits to what you need to change and adjust to do it when people aren't right down the hall.
1: Okay, so in summary then, what what would you say is fundamentally the same and unchanged versus indeed unique here in the remote world?
2: We are leading people. They are all different they have unique needs, wants, etc. And so we must work harder to understand those things and understand those people so they will still choose to follow. I believe that our job as a leader is to create a, a sense of commitment and not just try to create compliance. So to do that at a distance requires us to be more intentional, more focused, more diligent, because we have to continue to build those relationships. Some of the things that happen without us even thinking about it at coffee pot someone pops their head into the office none of that's going to happen when we're at a distance so we've got to be more intentional and more focused to make those spontaneous things serendipitous things happen when they can't be that way anymore
1: okay well so then i'd love to hear your take from lots of experience with working with lots of people What would you say are the top one to three struggles or surprises or or challenges that that remote leaders, when they they start doing it, go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh,
2: they're having a tough time with? They have trouble with figuring out how we're going to communicate with each other and the frequency of that communication. They have trouble oftentimes with trusting their teams, which often manifests itself as micromanagement. And they have a lot of trouble with coaching and holding people accountable often. I would say those are three areas that often show up early. Well, then, well,
1: tell us, you know, what, what are some of the best practices there in terms of addressing each of these?
2: Well, so the first thing, we can't, we can't create clear accountability unless there are clear expectations. And foundationally for us as leaders, and I'll talk to the leaders and to the team members here for a second, okay? So we need to, as leaders, be setting clear expectations for our folks. Because if they don't know what's expected, how can they possibly deliver? And if you're on the other side as a team member out working from home or wherever and not seeing your your boss, your leader, your manager, you need to be making sure that you know what those expectations are. So you don't just say, well, they, they haven't told me. Instead, say, I need to understand them. So I need to make sure that I'm clear on what they are. And once we're working remotely, Pete, the expectations aren't just about what needs to be done but also how we're going to do it because so many things that sort of just happened or were obvious when we saw each other in the hallways and we could commit in someone's office it doesn't happen anymore so we've got to make sure that expectations are crystal clear in both directions and if we don't do that we can't get accountability and we can't really do coaching until we have that set. So there's one of them.
1: Well, I'd love to get your, your take there in terms of arriving at those crystal clear expectations, you know, transmitted and received. Are there any key questions or approaches you use to ensure that you land there?
2: Step one, as a leader, make sure you're clear yourself, which often isn't the case. So just because you think you know, and you roll your eyes because they're not delivering, you can't even make it clear to them yet. So you've got to get it out of your head and written down. So when I'm coaching leaders, in fact, I have a conversation with one of them tomorrow. The challenge was, okay, tell me what you really do expect. Don't just tell me, write it down. Then we can talk about it. Because until you've written it down, it's not clear enough. Thoughts are fuzzy, words bring clarity. Once you've got it written down, then you can share it with the other person. You can't make it clear to them until it's clear to you, and seldom is it clear enough. You are too vague and too high level, usually. We're too close to a job description and not close enough to clearly what we want. I'm not talking about creating a situation for micromanagement. What I'm talking about is creating a set of boundaries and lanes so people know where they're headed, why they're headed there, and how they can succeed when they arrive. Okay, lovely. So we write it down, and and then you... Then you have a real conversation, which means don't just go, okay, I wrote all this down. Let me email it to you. Any questions, don't do that, first of all. And don't just say, well, let me read all these to you. But maybe rather send them and say, hey, I want us to have a conversation to make sure we're clear on expectations. And as we're having this conversation, a lot of people who are listening to us are now maybe 60, 80, 90 days into working remotely for the first time or leading remotely for the first time, right? And so maybe we got by for a while, the honeymoon's over. It's still okay to have this conversation now. Say, hey, hey, listen, Pete, I've put together some thoughts. I want to make sure we're on the same page about expectations. So I'm going to send this to you. I want you to review it. It's meant to be a draft for us to have a conversation about. Then I'd like for us to meet and talk about it. I want to make sure that it makes sense to you, that it's clear. Did I leave anything out? Does it leave any questions for you, et cetera? Then when we get on the phone or perhaps on a video call, then I need to start by saying, so, Pete, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? What's missing? Because as the boss, as the leader, there's a power differential between you and I, right? So if I do all the talking first, there's nothing left for you to say. Gotcha. So if I want a conversation, I have to engage you in it first first or early, the more I talk first, the less likely you're gonna say anything, even if there's a high level of trust between us, even if you are pretty self-assured and self-confident because just the unspoken nature of the power differential between us. Mm-hmm. All
1: right, thank you. All right, so, so there we go with the communication and let's talk about the trust next.
2: So the trust piece is, well, you know, people will say, well, I, I, if, I don't, if I don't see them, I don't know if they're working. Well, you don't know if they're working anyway, Right? Just because they happen to be in their office and they happen to be typing away on the keyboard. You don't know if they're working unless you're looking over their shoulder, which I surely hope you weren't doing before. People get lost in activity versus accomplishment. What we want is to accomplish things, not to be busy. I don't care if my team members take a a time in the middle of the day to go for a walk. I, I want the team to know it in case they're trying to get a hold of them. I don't care when they do their work. I want the work to be done successfully. And especially now, we may need to allow people to be flexible about how they actually get it done if they've got other issues like teaching school while they're trying to work. So the reality is if we can stay as a leader focused on accomplishments – and not activity, we can let go of all this garbage about, well, I don't know if they're working or not. That makes sense? That's good. Well,
1: absolutely. Well, And it's it is intriguing because uh, before, you know, the phrase work from home often just sort of had scare quotes in it, because I'm always working from home. So for me, I really mean it. But, but it's like, oh, I'm working from home, wink, wink, wink. And, and so it's intriguing there, because some folks really aren't Doing much with the activities, but it sounds like where you're going with it is if the accountability is clear and the expectations are clear in terms of the the output and achievements, then it's like whether they were working in ten hours or one hour, they've accomplished all that they were supposed to accomplish.
2: It really shouldn't matter if people can get their work done in two hours, then maybe they're, you're not giving them enough to do, or that you're not using them to their potential. That's a different subject right than what we're talking about right here if you've got someone who's working remotely and they're on a call center they need to be customer facing or they can't be away from their desk that's a different thing but for many of us who are working from home that doesn't matter right whether you do it at 2 p.m or 2 a.m sort of doesn't matter and as a leader i should let go of that what i want is i'm investing in this person to get an output that creates profitable exchange right and so as long as that's happening, that's what I should be focused on.
1: Okay, I'm with you. And, and let's talk about the coaching now.
2: Well, so we kind of went to the coaching first when we were talking about expectations. I want to come back to the, to the communication in general. It, it, they're connected, of course. But the communication in general is chances are once you're working remotely with folks, you're going to need to communicate with them more frequently than you were before because you don't have any of the happenstance. And you probably need to be a little more formal about it. And here's why. Like right now, I'm in our offices. I'm the only one here. I've been the only one here for 60-some days, or however long it's been now. But when there were a couple of people that were here part of the time, they could see if I was available. They knew if I had a minute or not. Now, they don't. They look at my calendar. It looks busy, and so they don't reach out. And Not because they don't want to. Maybe not even because they don't need to. And in part, in my case, I think it's because they're honestly thinking about my time. However, it ends up a phone call that ends up, Hey, Kevin, I know you don't have much time. I'll make this quick and all of the conversations then become very transactional. We get no interaction, we only have transaction. And we as leaders gotta make sure that doesn't happen. I'll get back to how to do that in a second. But what we need to do is schedule those times. And we need to be reaching out to each other, talking about, and this is part of the expectations, about how often we're gonna interact and have those one-on-ones. Why? Because otherwise they'll not happen. One of the times we have to be way more intentional about all this. And here's the other part, you got team members, who are thinking you don't trust them. And so we hear all the time, well, my boss is just checking up on me. Well, if we've pre-scheduled a rhythm, right, for these conversations, then it doesn't. it's not gonna feel like checking up, it's checking in, because we've already decided we're gonna have this conversation. Kevin didn't call or Zoom you or Slack you because in this moment, he decided he wanted to figure out what you were doing. We decided that at 10 o'clock on Friday, we're gonna chat. All right,
1: understood. And so then for with the coaching portion of that chat, I mean, do you do you coach differently remotely than you do when you're in person?
2: Well, I would say a couple of things. Number one is whenever possible, use the video cameras because we've got more cues from the communication perspective. We have better sense. Uh, you and I have that better right now than if we were only on the phone. That's right. It's certainly a lot more than we were only doing it via via typing, right? So the
1: audience doesn't know is that we're looking at each other. We
2: are looking at each other.
1: But that's not being recorded.
2: Uh, I'm looking at your bookcase and you can't see mine. You can't see one of the eight in this office because it's off to the side. But the point is, if we're going to coach, we need to make it as close to -to face-to-face as we can, as much as we can. That's the first thing. The second thing that I would say about the coaching piece is that Every time we have a one-on-one, there are opportunities for coaching. Because coaching isn't just about you're screwing up and we need to fix it. Coaching is also about you're doing awesome and how can we do even awesomer, right? So like all coaching is, is how do we help people continue to advance in the direction of, of a desired outcome? And so I think that we ought to be, as we create this rhythm, have the opportunity for coaching to not be an event, but an ongoing process.
1: Okay, good deal. Thank you. Well, so you, you mentioned uh, you've outed off a number of, of tools, Zoom, Slack, et cetera. I'd love it if we could touch that for a moment in terms of you've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, what do you think are, are some of the greatest tools available?
2: Well, first of all, it's always a danger for me to, to say ones out loud because then people say, well, that's not the one we use. Well,
1: then they change in a couple of years.
2: <laughs> and they're changing, right? So we're writing this new book called The Long Distance Teammate. We had this long conversation. Do you use those words? In the last... Three months, Zoom has become a verb, right? A lot of people didn't even and heard of it until a few months ago. But I would say this: chances are you already have tools that will work just fine. What you need to do is two things: learn how to use them beyond the 20% you got, and then use the right tool for the right thing. So, for example, there's there's good times to use email, and there's and there's better times to use your instant messaging tool, be it Slack or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. So the point is, it's, it's not right. like, well, I think Slack is better than Microsoft Teams. It doesn't matter. Pick one. Don't let there be in squabbling about, well, I like this one better than that one. Pick one. Set clear expectations as a team about when we're going to use which tool for which job and then use them for the right reasons, not because it happens to be the one you like. All right. Well, could you maybe
1: give us some category of tool, good use for it and bad use for it?
2: Email. It's not for a conversation. All right. All of us have been the third email in, right? That's not going well. Someone needs to pick up the phone or do something else, right? At some level, as long as you and your team or you and your organization have agreements, that's the most important thing. Have agreements about how you're going to use which. But let's just take your instant messaging tool versus your email, right? Now I'm talking about how we do it. If it doesn't need to be responded to in the next hour or two, email's fine. We're not expecting people to automatically respond to an email that quickly. A little more so with Slack than with email, in our case, our instant messaging tool that we use, right? So shorter, synchronous, instant message. Longer, really needs to be asynchronous or could be asynchronous, email. That'd be one way to look at it, right? Uh, Another thing is if you've got multiple tools that you can use to do video for example, right? You've got a Zoom thing. Like in our case, because we work with clients all over the world, we got like name them. We got them all, right? But we as an organization say that when we're communicating with each other, it's either this one or this one. Not all of them. One of these two. And for the most part, if we're having a two-person conversation, excuse me, it's Zoom. If we're having a larger team. It happens to be GoToMeeting. That just happens to be how it's evolved for us. The most important thing is know how to use your tools, know how to use most of their capabilities, and then get agreement with everybody about how you're going to use them.
1: We say, you mentioned 20%, like we only know 20% of how to use Zoom or a given tool. What are some sort of features that most people are just leaving on the table? Like, did you know you could do this? You can, maybe start doing that.
2: Here's a simple one. If you're in a meeting room, in a conference room, you got a whiteboard or flip chart and you're using it. Maybe not using it as well as you could, but you probably are using it. Pretty much all these tools have that. Are you using it there? Do you know how to use it there? One example. Do you know how to, uh, if, you're, if you've got a Brady Bunch screen with 12 of you or whatever, and that's driving you nuts, do you know that you can change it so you only see the active speaker? All right. There's two simple examples. We could go a lot further, but there's two simple examples.
1: Okay. And so when you mentioned asynchronous communication, there's email. Uh, one of my favorite tools for asynchronous communication personally is Loom with uh, screen recording videos that are super zippy. Anything else maybe is not on most people's radar, but should be?
2: I don't know that I have. I mean, there are some, there are some pretty cool tools or a bunch of them. There's some pretty cool tools that allow you to, to shoot quick video that you can then include. I will give you one that you may not know. Did you know that you can send someone a video message in LinkedIn?
1: Oh yes, that, that's new. Mm-hmm.
2: At least as far as I know, you can still only do it with your mobile device. You can't do it from here, but you can send someone a more personal note. So that's probably more for for networking or staying connected with other people, or if you're in a sales and marketing role than it is within your team. But there's an example. I, I'm always open to finding new stuff, but I'm always concerned when people just keep hopping. Oh, we ought to try this. Oh, we ought to try this. Oh, we ought to try this. Let's see what we've got and what works with it before we start looking. Because again, a lot of times we're not using the capabilities of what we've already got. And we create some amount of, especially the larger our team or organization, we create a whole lot of new angst and spinning of wheels by introducing new tools before we use the ones we got.
1: Oh, sure. Well, and so when it comes to knowing how to use them and using them well, Part of the game is to just be aware of the features that are in existence when you click different, you know, pop-ups and dialogues and sub-menu items. And I, I think beyond that, there's also how we conduct ourselves as, as humans when, say, on a, a, a Zoom or video call. Can you lay out some, some best and worst practices that we should be aware of?
2: Before we go there, I wanna say one more thing back to where you just were, and that is the way to learn these tools is two things watch other people using them well. And number two, don't try to figure them out when you're live. Go into the tool and practice. I mean, this sounds so simple, but people don't do it. You've all been in the meeting, how do you do this? And someone's trying to tell someone else how to do it. You could have taken 10 minutes ahead of time and already figured it out without the stress and the pressure and wasting everybody else's time. So to your other question, how do we behave on a Zoom call? Is that kind of the question? Certainly. Well, I mean,
1: (laughs) I, I think there's some sort of, you know, givens that don't need to be articulated. But at the same time, there's other stuff that you've probably seen hundreds of times that annoys you like crazy. So spell it out for us. What should we start and stop doing?
2: Well, the first thing is people need to be focused on what they're doing. And multitasking is a myth, and we shouldn't be trying to do it. And so... One of the many reasons I love people having their webcams on is it's harder for them to multitask. It's harder for them to look. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're looking away or doing something else, right? So on my team, webcams are on, mute is off. In other words, unless you've got ambient noise that doesn't allow it, or you're some I mean in the past you're in an airport, you got a barking dog. The reality is I want your your mics open if at all possible. Why? Because that helps you stay more attentive and stay more connected. And it helps the meeting be more natural. It's never gonna be quite the same. There's still the hesitations and the interruptions and all that stuff, but we take a lot of that away. People are talking, hey, you need to go off a mute, and we lose all of our momentum and all of our rhythm. That's so true. So set some clear ground rules as a team about how you're going to do some of those things, first of all. Next thing is put a background behind you. And and you can do all those things if you don't want people to see where you're at. You can do all sorts of things to change that. But more importantly, is set yourself up, if at all possible, so you don't have light behind you, so we can see you right? We don't need to look like you're in witness protection. You don't have to have professional lighting, but you just need to orient yourself so that when you look at yourself, you see your face just like you want to see everybody else's. So there's a, those are a couple of simple, simple little things.
1: Well, what I love about the that mute tip so much is that it's, well, one, it's counterintuitive. I think everyone thinks, oh, I should mute it so that I'm not annoying everybody. And, and two, it's sort of like, I think people already have some resistance associated with speaking up. And there's all this research which suggests that when you just removing a little bit of friction just could go a long way in driving behavior. And so if you want more people to participate and have a more engaging, interactive exchange, well that mute button is is providing just one more little bit of friction to make it less likely.
2: I can't find the mute button. Blah blah blah.
1: Yeah. I have something to say, but it's not that important. And I'm going to have to reach for my mouse to unmute it. So I'm just going to hold it back.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's not, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of silly, but the reality is it's friction. Well, no, it's true. It's how we work. It's friction in the system. So let me give you a tip around this for the leader and as a member of the team. Because even if you're a leader, you're in a bunch of meetings that aren't your meetings, right? So first, as a leader, you need to, if you want people to engage, we said this earlier on a different topic. If you want the team to engage you've got to engage them early if you don't engage them early the longer you do the talking the less likely they will engage so you've got to engage them early and the second thing you need to do as the leader is facilitate better which means more directive in terms of asking for input right because again there is friction and there's reasons oh, I'll wait I'm not sure I think someone else is going to say something I, that friction exists in the room but when we get on zoom or video conference setting it's enhanced. I will say, so, hey, we haven't heard anything from the marketing department yet. Or how about someone in the West, on the West Coast or in Pacific Time? I was teaching a two-hour virtual session earlier today, and I had some people that, for some reasons, had to be on mute. And I said, hey, James, I'm going to be to you, give you a chance to get off mute. But before that, Keith, what do you think? What I want to do is set him up to succeed in sharing something valuable and ask questions that they have answers to. Like, what do you think? What's been your experience right? Those kinds of questions will happen. Help Now, if I'm on the participant side, it's not my meeting. Recognize that chances are the leader wants you to participate. Hope that that's true. Assuming that's true, then be a little more proactive. Be a little more bold. What might feel like you're jumping out on a limb probably isn't. It's probably actually helping you be more what I would call ethically visible. You're not trying to like grandstand. You're just trying to contribute. And so don't be afraid or to say that in a positive way. I encourage you to be proactive and share your thoughts when you have them.
1: All right. I like that. So let's see. I want to make sure I get some tasty morsels that caught my eye in your book. You said leading successfully requires understanding, not just what they're doing, but what people are thinking. How do we pull that off to get that understanding of what people are thinking?
2: we've got to have more conversation. I'm going to go back to one thing about the the conversations we need to have, especially remotely. Let's say, Pete, you and I are having our weekly one-on-one call. The first thing I need to do is not dive in to my list. First thing I need to do is start with a little bit, and maybe one minute, maybe three minutes, depends on the person and the relationship with that person. I'm going to start with, so how's it going? What's happening? And especially during this whole COVID thing, you know, that's been a super important point we need to talk about something besides the work first so that we start to create the sense and continue to nurture the relationship, number one. And the second thing is I encourage all of my team members and encourage all of our clients to do the same. If we know we're having a weekly one-on-one or whatever the frequency is, I'm always creating a list of things that I can save for that conversation with you. And I'm asking you to be doing the same. So everyone in my team calls it the Kevin list. So I always start with, so what's on your Kevin list? If I go first, we may not get to theirs. If I got something we gotta get to, I make sure we get that done, that's not a problem. But really what I'm after here is to get more of their thinking earlier. So if I start finding out what they're wondering about, what their questions are about, I'm getting a better chance to get inside of what's going on for them, what their worries, concerns, anxieties are. And by starting it, by really creating conversation, then I have a chance to ask those questions, to to learn more, to be more observant about those things as well.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. And. By having these running lists, you also reduce all the the little interruptions.
2: (laughs) They're all bundled together for you. That's a whole episode right there, Pete, about how we manage our time and the productivity around that. But there's no doubt about it. If we both know that we're meeting on a regular rhythm, and the rhythm for me with my team members isn't the same for each person based on who they are, the role that they play, and five or six other things. But if we know that, then if something comes up that goes to the top of the list and we need to talk, of course we talk. But by having that regular rhythm, there's a lot of things that it doesn't have to be, oh, by the way, I just thought as i come down the hall and we are both interrupted. You were interrupted and so was I, right? Now we just hey, I put that down. We'll get to it. We get to it. It's all good. If it's really urgent, we'll talk about it. No problem. Lovely. All right. In, in
1: chapter nine, you have a golden suggestion for working with others. Do we already get it or what is it?
2: It's not due unto others how how you want to be done unto. It's due unto others how they want. So in other words, always focus on what would work for them. How can I communicate in a way that will work for them? Not what I would want, but what will work best for them. So it's it's shifting. It, it's still thinking about it's the more empathetic, more outwardly focused approach.
1: And, and so, and and how does one get to? get that understanding. I imagine you have to ask, you have to discuss your preferences and needs and habits and how things flow well for another.
2: Hopefully, if you've been leading a person for a while, working with someone for a while, you've you've started to figure some of that out. If that question that Pete just asked you, oh man, I'm glad he asked that question, then it's probably time for you to step back, it'll be a little more observant, number one. But you can come out and ask, right? Hey, I've been doing it this way for a while. Pete, is that working for you? Would there be a better way than that? Hey, when we had that exchange, I didn't feel like it went super well. I felt like maybe I was misinterpreted. Can we talk about it? I want to make sure what could I have done differently or better? So we can do all those kinds of things. Of course, we should be asking for feedback, Pete, to help us get better. But there are other tools too, like whether for you and your organization, it's Myers-Briggs or if it's DISC, that's what we happen to use. But some sort of a tool or assessment or model that gives us all a sense of where people are in general. Is helpful. We don't want to put people in boxes, but it can't. That those kinds of tools can be helpful too.
1: All right. And then, how do
2: you think about politics
1: in the world of remote leadership?
2: Well, people think. Sometimes people think about politics as a negative, right? Well, I don't want to play office politics. Or they think, well, I'm remote. Some people are in the office, and and I'm not. You know, I can't play those games. So I, I don't. I don't think you want to make that such a negative thing. The human condition is that we make decisions based on who we know and what we know about them. So I think building relationships and and trying to keep our conversations in a positive vein and not getting into all the gossip stuff, of course, is very helpful. But I wouldn't cast a pall over the word politics. We can be seen. We can be effective. We can be influential without it being scummy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. I don't think I've ever said the word scummy on a podcast before, Pete.
1: We break ground. or innovators over here. <laughs> well, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: No, you've asked great questions.
1: All righty. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: James, the book of James, chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, because and now I'm going to paraphrase the rest because through trials and challenges, we have the chance to grow and mature. So I, I think especially now that when there seems to be challenges around us, if we consider it all joy to say that there's good that will come, we must look for it. And even in the challenge is opportunities for us to grow.
1: And could you give us a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: Well, I'll just mention one that was in The Long Distance Leader and it will be, also will be in The Long Distance Teammate. Bettina Buchel wrote uh, a piece that talks about richness versus scope in communication. The idea is that the richest communication is the face-to-face, nose-to-nose across the table conversation, right? But that doesn't have much scope. It's just two people right now, that's all there is. Scope is something like a mass email has a tremendous amount of scope, but not much richness. And so using the idea of richness versus scope and trying to balance those to help us pick which communication tools might help us is a useful model. Okay, and how about a favorite book? Okay. I knew this was coming and it's an impossible question. I read probably a hundred books a year. And so on one hand, I would say the one I'm reading now, but instead I'll give you three. And they're all old, right? The Bible, Think and Grow Rich, and How to Win Friends and Influence People would probably be where I'd go. All of them have had and continue to have impact on me. They all are examples of timeless principles that we can continue to apply even if context changes all right and how about a favorite tool you know i knew you're going to ask me that question and i'm going to say i'm actually going to say linkedin and maybe because i'll say it for two reasons number one is i've been fortunate and blessed uh, to, to have the chance to work with them and have some, some LinkedIn learning products. And so I love it from that perspective. But here's the thing. Of all of the social media channels, at least for what I see, there's a much higher ratio of useful versus noise. And uh, I think maybe people overlook it a little bit. I agree. And how about a favorite habit? Reflect. We have a tremendous amount of opportunities to learn from what we have experienced. Both what has gone well and what hasn't. And most of us don't take near enough time to reflect not only on what happened, but what to do with it now that it has happened.
1: All right. And is there a particular nugget you have shared that really seems to connect and resonate and gets quoted back to you often?
2: But I think I I say this a lot, that there's a big difference between deciding and doing, and the difference is action.
1: And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Well, they can certainly go to LinkedIn. They can go to kevineikenberry.com, K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. We've got a number of websites related to the various books and all that stuff. But if you can remember how to spell my name, uh, you can find us. And I hope you'll do. I hope you let us know how we can help.
1: All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yeah. When you were a kid, your parents asked you a question every day. And if you're a parent... You've asked this question of your kids regularly, but when was the last time you asked yourself this question? What did I learn today?
1: All right, Kevin, thank you. This has been fun. I wish you lots of luck in in all of your long distance leading.
2: Thank you so much, Pete. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: I really appreciated Kevin's take on having the video cameras on and the mute buttons off during the course of video conference calls. And I guess sometimes you've got the background noise, you can't avoid it. And sometimes you have a terrible microphone setup, which transmits a nonstop hiss or whine when it's not muted. And if that's the case, I recommend a quality microphone, such as the Sennheiser SC30 or 60. I have sent many, many of these to podcast guests, so they sound better. And anyhow, I, I think that's really wise in terms of making it harder to multitask, as well as increasing the the fidelity, the simulation of being in the same room. And it's also <laughs> something I, I kind of sometimes just don't want to do. <laughs> it's like, I want to be paying less attention to this meeting and and doing something else. Or I want to feel less pressure, to be ready to say something to me. You know, it, it just it sort of demands a little bit more of me and, you know, accordingly, you know, the people on the other side. And I think that's handy. If it's, it's a good, worthy, important meeting that needs to be had, well, then by golly, Let's shape the environment so people are all the more disposed to bring the fullness of themselves and what they have to offer to it. And I mean, I talked about the friction of the mute button. I wasn't being facetious. <laughs> like the little extra inconvenient things really do reduce action taking, particularly if it's a little ambiguous thing, like, oh, is this thing worth saying? Mm-hmm. Self-doubt, etc. It probably is worth saying. So if it, the mute is off, There's less resistance to saying it. Anyway, good little tips from Kevin. I dug it. Hope you did too. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app 577 If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest, David LaBelle. He's got some pro tips on how to deal with fear and stay in calm and stay in proactive when times are uncertain. And there is some uncertainty today. I hope you're doing well and doing safe and coming to some new perspective and wisdom when it comes to racism and injustice, as as we're seeing a lot of conversation and and protests and and sometimes violence occurring. Hope you're staying safe and well and wise. Hope to catch you
0: next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com